0: Another amazing episode of Retrovaniacs As always, I'm Jerry Parmentier Here with Jeremy Gregory Hey guys And Billy is going to be out this episode again He will be back soon A lot of scheduling problems But we're coming to the end of February And I did not want to miss our mark for two shows So we're going to be right up at that edge But uh, that's okay It's still two shows uh, for both regular and two shows for the bonus feed. Uh, but this episode, we're going to talk about a another listener request. This is not a paid request. This is from the list. So again, if you're one of our patrons at any level, you can put requests on. We're going to cover them. This month, we're doing nothing but patron requests like this. And so this episode is going to be about Blood Omen Legacy of Kane for the Sony PlayStation. But before we get to that, Jeremy, have you been playing anything remarkable since our last show? I, I really haven't.
1: I, like I said in the previous episodes, I have just been working... Uh, Thankfully, that's about to stop uh, here in the next uh, few weeks, so (laughs) I can can maybe get back to to playing uh, some some new stuff. But I did actually get time to watch the the Nintendo Direct last week, or whenever it was. Kind of lost track of time at this point. I I didn't know if uh, maybe maybe you got to see anything on that that you were looking forward to, uh, but for me, I, I mean, it was fine for me. I think there's just so many people that get their hopes up way too high for these Nintendo Directs. Uh, You know, they're expecting, like, Metroid announcements and, you know, these amazing new games that they've made up in their heads to exist. And you're always going to be let down by that. Nintendo isn't going to come out with this powerhouse announcement, you know, a bunch of crazy stuff that uh, we were all hoping to see. And I think if you keep your expectations in check, then it's not too bad. I was fine with it. I mean, I got Splatoon. I got the new Ghosts and Goblins, uh, Legend of Mana. Uh, was announced, which I think I'm the only person that was probably probably excited about that, uh, and just a few other things here and there. I thought it was fine, but then of course I see everyone just completely like, this is the worst Direct I've ever seen. It's like, wh- wh- what were you expecting? This is Nintendo these days. They've never come out, you know, explosion of, of crazy announcements here and there. Um, But yeah, I I don't know if you you saw anything there that you were excited about.
0: I did. All the things you mentioned, I'm not really a Splatoon fan. I I have not given it a fair shot. I I tried to play it, but after it had been out for a while, and everybody's way better than me, and that's not enjoyable. Uh, I was very excited for the new Mario Golf. I'll definitely be playing that. That's going to be awesome. Uh, I already did get the Ghosts and Goblins Resurrected. I actually streamed it on Twitch uh, a couple days ago to let people see. It is the most accessible Ghosts and goblins that's uh, that's been out that still feels like ghosts and goblins it gives you four difficulty settings clearly the highest which is called like legendary I think is what they uh, if you're gonna say you really beat it that's what you beat it on I suppose uh, it has less checkpoints uh, and things do you know this things spawn in a lot larger groups like uh, in the first level there are these sections where like you'll hear a sound and then a bunch of guys appear kind of all around you and you have to take them down on the uh, I'm playing for the purpose of, of twitch I played on the second difficulty setting which is uh, squire and like so you hear the sound and then like four guys pop up around you have to kill them real quick which is no big deal uh on, on legendary it was like nine guys that spawn in, in such a way that you have to go back and forth you have to like fire in different directions you can't just sit there and like spam to the left and kill them all and then spam to the right uh they also gave you the ability to uh, to earn new like magic spells and uh other abilities like a, a, a random resurrection and such uh by in the levels as you play through them there are these little fairies hidden and if you capture all those fairies they will uh they will allow you to buy those other abilities. So, I mean, it's it's definitely Ghosts and Goblins. I mean, it's not like they took Ghosts and Goblins and they were like, here's here's a game that looks like it, but really it's going to feel more like a Metroidvania or something. It still feels like Ghosts and Goblins. It still plays like Ghosts and Goblins. Even on the second difficulty setting, I mean, it took me three ou- or two hours to get through three levels, and I died uh, over and over and over again. Uh, it also allows you to have unlimited chances, which is nice. So, unlike Ghosts and Goblins, where... Unless you were doing save states, you know, after you lose your level, your lives, you get to continue from an earlier point. Uh, This was like any checkpoint you made, you could start right back there. So on the easier levels, there's more checkpoints. On the harder levels, there's less checkpoints. But you still have unlimited chances to get through the level, even though, you know, it's still incredibly difficult. So, I I mean, I did enjoy that. Uh, The other thing I did is uh, I downloaded the demo for, I can never remember the name of the damn thing, and I have it on my Switch now. Triangle Strategy. Square g- yeah. soft game. What a great name! <laughs> uh, but they do say it's a working title, but it's a yeah. real bad one. Um, it, it's not bad if you like. If you like. Uh... Final Fantasy Tactics and Tactics over that kind of game. It's very similar to that. I thought it felt very much like Tactics, uh, especially how it's all set up. Like they, they give you two missions, and they're kind of in the middle of the story someplace. So they give you a big chunk of story and then a big chunk of, like, here's what happens and here's why this matters. But basically, there's three kingdoms. One of the kingdoms, uh, for whatever reason, just invades one of the other kingdoms because obviously... For some reason, they've decided that's the right thing to do, uh, and then that's the first battle you have, is the, defending the, the, the king and escaping with the prince or something. Uh, it plays a lot like Final Fantasy Tactics, except uh, the, instead of having some of the mechanics from Final Fantasy Tactics, uh, that like the, the Zodiac symbols and stuff, maybe that stuff will be in there, but it's not yet. Instead, it's a lot more about tactics of where your characters are, so if you are flanking an enemy... Uh, and then attack from with one. Then the other guy that's on your team that's flanking him gets like a second attack after you attack. Uh, to, so the, you know it's basically about positioning yourself more than I thought. You know the magic is fine, the the abilities you could see were fine, but uh, but it was more really about positioning. I, I really liked what I played. I'm definitely looking forward to it, but it's not coming till 2022 at least. So we'll see uh, we'll see how much that changes before it actually comes out. Uh, and the other thing I did is uh, you know even though I did want to get the new ghosts and goblins resurrected they did put out the capcom arcade thing it's the free app you can download on the switch and it you can start off with one free game you get 1943 the arcade version and it's all arcade versions of these games so it has you know the at the time and i don't know if it's still free but you could get the original ghosts and goblins for it so i have ghosts and goblins in 1943 and then you can buy packages of other games or i think pay 45 dollars for i think 15 or, or 20 arcade games. It's neat. I mean, if, if you like all arcade games, it it's fine. I've seen people complain online that it's not uh, arcade perfect as far as like the, the speed of everything, but um, I'm not that good at these games. So for me, they play just fine. I, I guess if I had spent a lot of time with arcade versions of 1943, maybe I'd realize like, oh no, the speed's off or the, the aspect ratio is slightly different. I don't know. I had no problems with it. It's It's been pretty good. So yeah, I've basically been playing a lot of the Switch and the only other thing I've really been playing is still working through E's nine. I, I'm I'm determined to finish E's nine before I buy Persona Five Strikers, uh, which I have not bought yet because I'm trying to avoid buying a whole bunch of games this year without beating them. So uh, I'm working my way through Ease five, E's nine. It's still really good. Uh, I still don't think it's quite as good as eight, but uh, but it's almost as good as eight. So that's fine. But the other thing I spent a lot of time on because this game actually took a chunk of time is this week's game, Blood Omen: Legacy of kane for the PlayStation.
1: Now I swore that I had actually played this on the 3DO, but I think it's just that era of, you know, when the 3DO was, was old, which was like two years into its (laughs) lifespan. And then the PlayStation came out. I think I was just kind of merging those two systems together, but I swear somewhere out there, there is a magazine that I was reading that it was originally going to come out on the 3DO and just got pushed over to the PlayStation after they saw no one, but me bought a 3DO. Uh, so, I, yes, I originally played this on PlayStation when it came out because Game Fan, the magazine, had written an incredible hype piece for this game. Basically saying it was going to be the new Zelda franchise, that this is a thousand times better than any other action RPG that's ever been created. Uh, it's massive. It's huge. It's got amazing voice actors. Never seen anything like it. So I was hyped to the heavens for this game when it finally came out. And for, for the most part, I mean, obviously nothing can touch game fan hype. You know, they, they (laughs) they'll say like Aquanauts holiday for the PlayStation is like the next greatest video game ever. And only insane people say that, but for the most part with, with legacy of Kane, I, I came away highly satisfied with my, with what I played with the exception of a few things here and there.
0: Yeah. I, I definitely played it when it was new too. uh, it is an action RPG. When you say like Zelda, not, you didn't say it was like Zelda, but you said it was the next Zelda. If you don't know what what this game looks like, uh, it's very much more like a Diablo style, uh, top down, you know, you can go in all directions, but it's it's that, that sort of aspect. It's not the 3D, you know, Zelda style. Um, yeah, I remember this getting a lot of press uh, as being pushed. I would not be shocked at all if it was supposed to be on 3DO because the game took over three and a half years to come out and it came out in 1996. So that would have made sense to be kind of developing it for... Uh, earlier systems, and it's also the the publisher is Crystal Dynamics who had a big hand in it as well uh, And they did a lot of work on the 3DO. That, that's Gex, a bunch of other games they, they were really big 3DO supporters, so it would not surprise me at all if this was supposed to have been on 3DO uh, But I did not find any proof that one existed, so uh, I, I'm assuming you also did play it on PlayStation. I looked for the magazine, uh, the
1: Game Fan magazine that had the article in it And I know I've got it somewhere because I can remember the front cover of it. It had Legacy of Kain on there. You know, Kane standing up there and, and doing his his vampire thing looks super cool, and I tried my best to find that just to make sure I wasn't going completely insane, but I could not. Uh, if I can find that here in the next couple of weeks, and I'm, I'm gonna throw it to you, be like, I wasn't crazy. It was it was really supposed to be on the 3DO.
0: And when we find that, we will post it on our Twitter and uh, and Instagram so that everyone can see that Jeremy was right. Uh, but I, I I I didn't finish this game when I bought it originally. Um, I thought it was cool, but unfortunately this time, you know, it was the same time frame I had been working in at the uh, the electronics boutique. So we were getting so many games in and you were able to borrow games uh, when you worked there, kind of. So I was able to to constantly be busy, but it meant if a game didn't immediately grab me when I first picked it up, I, I probably didn't finish it. Um, so this one, while I like I like this kind of game, I like action RPGs a lot, and I like that this game isn't the standard, you know, orcs and elves fantasy that so many other games kind of fall into. Uh, you know, you mentioned you had a couple of problems with this. The immediate, and I mean immediate, from the moment you start playing this game, the thing you're going to notice is the load times.
1: Yeah, I, I was going to say we might as well just get that out of the way before we get going. I think we because, have to. Yeah, that is the the biggest complaint I have with this game. And at the time, I didn't notice it too much because, you know, CDs, were was it was a new thing. I liked the game. But going back to it now, and I was playing this again on the Pi, and you said it's even worse if you play it on the PlayStation. Oh, yeah. It was bad enough on the Pi. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, you're loading menus in this game. And it's just it, – there's it's like everything is being loaded in constantly. Sometimes it's not too bad, but you're going to you're gonna see those load times, those loading screen things all over the
0: place. Yeah, and, and it, it literally goes to a screen that says – "load," like a, a little loading box pops up, or if you're on, like, your inventory screen – uh, and and go back to the main screen, a little loading box starts up. And it's like 30 seconds, sometimes over a minute to to get to the next room in some of these dungeons. And it's not like they're massive dungeons that have uh, that, that all you can see on the screen. It's you literally loading from room to room to room to room. It's a loading every time. Uh, and even the very beginning of the game, you're going back and forth through a, through a graveyard, which we'll we'll get into the story in a minute. I really thought that we had to, I really thought we had to explain the load time issue because if you find this today, on the PlayStation and play it. That's, that's the first thing you're going to notice. You're going to say, wow. And so make sure you have something else to do. Have your phone by, nearby or <laughs> watch a movie while you're playing this. There's a lot of downtime just with loading. Uh, it, but get past that because it does have a lot to offer if you can ignore the load time. So this game, as, we, as I mentioned, was published by Crystal Dynamics, who had done Gex, and you know they ended up became, becoming part of IDOS, so being part of the Tomb Raider team. I mean, they, they were a, a, a giant publisher at the time. But this is a, the game was developed by Silicon Knights. Now, up to this point, Silicon Knights had only done a handful of PC games uh, as a developer. They actually were all for SSI, which is a, a strategy company that did some RPGs. Uh, my dad was a huge strategy war gamer, like uh, when we had our Amiga, and half of his games were by SSI. So I recognized the box art as soon as I saw it, because their logo is very, very notable. And they did a, one of the games they did for them was like a D&D Fantasy Empire thing. So they already kind of had a hand in this fantasy setting and, and the kind of game they wanted to make, I suppose. But this was a, you know, Blood Omen Legacy of Cain was a, a game that apparently the, the studio and the, the founder of the studio, or like the, at least the mouthpiece for them, uh, really was like pushing this to all these other publishers. And eventually Crystal Dynamics was like, sure, we'd love to do this Legacy of Cain game. So this was their first major console game. You could tell, I think knowing that they have a PC background kind of explains the amount of loading and the way that the game is laid out, where they kind of are like, yeah, well, it's fine if there's all this loading. You know, you don't have to load everything in the background to run it so it's smoothly, you know, while you're playing like a lot of CD games did. Instead, they just were like, no, you'll just load every time. And so, you know, everything is uh, graphically, I think this game looks still pretty well. A lot of these PlayStation games, we play them now, and we're like, wow, this is. This is pretty ugly, but for a two D, uh, kind of three D ish game, uh, I think the graphics still look really good. But because of that, they're loading in everything. They're loading, you know, like we said, every screen you change, every time you go anywhere, every time you go to your inventory screen. So all those screens look great, but the the payback is you have to load it up. So this was their uh, this was Silicon Knights' first. First console game, and like I mentioned, it took almost three and a half years to come out. Uh, a lot of back and forth between them and Crystal Dynamics about how this is going to come out and work. So finally, it was released 1996. They did decide not to do a 3DO port, because uh, I, I did see that, that there was probably one planned at the beginning, but it didn't come out. Uh, and then, you know, put it out on the PlayStation 1996, only in North America and Europe. This is not a game that was released in Japan and then the PC a year later. The, the very start of the game, you first jump in, and you're kind of hit with this this big cinematic that shows you a bunch of stuff that it doesn't really explain. The manual doesn't really give you a story that that talks about what you're about to see. It, it explains who you are and kind of the, the world, but it doesn't say what you're going to watch. And basically, this game starts with this big, long cinematic where you see what looks like a demon or something coming in and attacking a group of wizards, <laughs> and then uh, there's like a suit of armor that the guy dies, and the suit of armor comes back to life somehow, and there's all this crazy stuff going on, and you're like, this, this is ridiculous. This is, this is like an epic fantasy story. And then... The game starts, and you're Kane in a top-down like bar area, uh, finding out the bar is closed and you need to leave. And that's that's how you're introduced to the game. You get this giant scene that's not really explained very well, and then, oh yeah, no, you're a guy at a bar. Go to town. Uh, Yeah, I
1: mean, it it at least gives you an idea of what you're in for for the rest of the game. Uh, It was very rare back in the day to have this kind of very super dark fantasy setting. And for the most part, we dealt with, the standard medieval kind of setting that you would see in, in kind of ge- these kind of games. But this is as dark as you can get as far as like a fantasy setting. And that's what really drew me into it because it was just different. And even like the cinematics and stuff like that, they look bad today, but they were pretty impressive back when they came out. And even like the voice acting, like everything is just dripping with this, like e- this really super dark fantasy vibe to it. And it's, it's one of those things that just instantly grabbed me with that opening cinematic and then putting you in that bar. And then, you know, you get, you get a little bit of that voice acting and the, I can't say enough how good this voice acting is. It still is. But for that time where you would, you know, studios would generally just get their family members to come in and, and read lines. Like these were actual actors, voice actors, doing lines and it was really good and it just further set up the whole scene and everything that would come afterward
0: yeah the voice acting in this game is is remarkable especially for the time frame but even now i mean that this is good at voice acting and there's a lot of it kane talks a lot uh but he, he explains things as if he's narrating his own you know diary or whatever after the fact so he'll, he'll talk about the town you're going to and like this is a town i don't like because of this and this is the town that used to be wonderful but now it's falling apart for these reasons and he and it's it's all very well done. It's I was very impressed with it. Yeah, he's like this bitch. Like he's just, he's like a royal, I guess. He's from from
1: a, like a royal family or something, and he's just kind of an asshole about everything. Uh, so he's not like a, a your typical hero. He's not a good guy at all, uh, even before he's you know gets into the being what he is. So you kind of get that pretty quickly that he is just this. Just this royal snobby dude that doesn't really like anything anyway. Uh, He is definitely not your, your, I'm here to save the world kind of guy. Which was, which was nice. You didn't, you know, didn't get anything like that back then.
0: Well, And I don't know how much, I think we've talked about it before. I'm a big pen and paper role-playing game guy. And it's hard to find motivations to have a character who's kind of unlikable do the things it takes to save the world without it being like, he has a change of heart, now he loves everybody. So they did a really good job. He is. You start the game, he's still a human at the beginning of the game. And I don't think we're spoiling anything by saying he becomes a vampire because I think it's pretty much clear from the beginning. Uh, Literally, after you leave that bar, you're attacked by a bunch of bandits, and you die, and then you get to see a cinematic where you're brought back to life by a, uh, a necromancer who's basically like, do you want to get revenge on the people who killed you? And you're like, of course I do. it's like, then I'll bring you back to life. And you're like, before you even ask any questions, like, well, what's that mean? You're like, done. Bring me back right now. <laughs> I'm going to kill all these bandits, and that's what I'm going to do. And from that point yeah there's there's no fucking he doesn't care you know he's just like
1: well you know is there maybe something bad about coming back to life he's like no let's do this like i got i got shit to do take me back there right now
0: right so so the the next scene is him waking up like in a crypt and they're like oh i guess i'm back to life because now i'm an undead vampire how about that okay fine well i'll still go ahead and kill all my all these bandits so the first section of the game is just kind of you learning how to play walking through the crypt kind of learning you know, what your attacks are, what the what the difference is between, you know, the, the the one minute you played as a human being where all you could do was swing a sword uh, to the moment you're at now. So once you become a vampire, uh, the, the game gives you a bunch... Like, it slowly introduces your abilities, So you don't start with everything, uh, but basically you have, uh, along with getting, you know, your sword and swinging that with a square button, uh, the circle button is your feed button. So after you've either attacked an enemy... That is, uh, you know, they'll kind of waver a little bit before, you know, before falling to the ground. Uh, you can either kill them by hitting them again with your weapon, or while they're waving back and forth, you can hit the circle button, and you'll basically drain blood from them, uh, almost like you have a st- an invisible straw. It just shoots out of them and into your body, and it, heal- it that's how you heal, for the most part, is by almost killing enemies and then draining their life force out. You'll also run into plenty of folks uh, somewhere in your crypt, which makes sense, uh, that are tied to the wall, and you can immediately just drain their blood, or sometimes... You brought this as a dark fantasy. There's a lot of stuff where, if you read between the lines, there's some really dark stuff in here. When you go to towns, there are like butcher shops. And in some of these butcher shops, not all of them, but some of the more seedy ones and seedier towns, they have rooms in the back full of people just tied to the wall that (laughs) are asking to be saved. And you just drain their blood uh, to to go to town on them uh, so you can keep healing yourself. Uh, You also can use items. Uh, The first item you pick up is, in fact, the healing item, which is the heart of darkness. You can either use it like an item, and it will heal some of your life, or, and I'm glad I figured this out by dying, but when you die, if you have a heart of darkness, it will resurrect you with, like... A fraction of your life, but at least you're back you know, back alive again and you can try to feed to get yourself some more health back. Um, pretty early on, you get the first spell you earn, which is Sanctuary, and that's where you can warp yourself back to your crypt from anywhere uh, on the map. Uh, but you also get a spell to, to light up areas, so when you're in caves and some of the darker rooms, you can use light, and it really does lighten up the area. It uses the PlayStation's lighting effects really well for that, actually, uh, where there's things that you, you might not see very clearly if it doesn't have light, but if it is important in a dungeon, even if you don't have light, the game makes sure you can at least see see it for some reason. Either it glows mysteriously or it'll be, you know, near a torch or something. But generally, uh, you get those two spells pretty early. You have a life bar, which is very clearly your life. It goes down as you get attacked. You drain people to heal yourself. Uh, you also have a magic bar that will slowly grow over time, or you can find pickups to, uh, to give you back chunks of magic quickly. You'll find life enhancements, which look like, like red vials. You'll find magic enhancements that give you more magic power that look kind of like triangle runes. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a very standard, if you've played a game like Diablo or, or like Baldur's Gate or one of those kind of games, it's that view and that kind of item pickup. Unlike a lot of those games, your advancement is not leveling. You don't have experience, you don't get stronger as you uh, explore the map, you know, by killing enemies and getting levels. Uh, you get stronger by uh, getting items. Like we mentioned, getting the spells you get and all your new abilities, which are, you know, are really cool. Uh, but also there are new weapons and new armors. Uh, they also have different effects. So, for example, you can get a mace, and that will allow you to like break rocks that before blocked your path. You get an axe that lets you chop down trees. Uh, there's, there's just different weapons and, and armors you earn that, that also expand your abilities. Uh, and then also there are these pools of blood that you'll find uh, kind of laid throughout in these caves. And the pools will give you sometimes very specific powers, like it'll make it so you can walk through snow without taking damage, because otherwise a vampire can't walk across water or snow, uh, or there's other ones that just strictly give you more physical strength so you can push larger boulders and open up other parts of the map. So, uh, you know, I like how the game gives you all these abilities, and it does kind of give them out slowly to you, so you can learn what each of them does, uh, and, and there's a lot
1: of them there. Yeah, there's a lot in here, and at first, like, if you're just playing this for the first time, it does not feel very good combat-wise. Like, just... Kane isn't very fast walking around, and you know he's kind of. You've really only got your sword that you can use. There's not much you can do with it besides just press the button to get maybe a little bit of a combo out of it. And early on, like it really just kind of seems clumsy and not really fun to play. Um, You know the the whole fantasy thing and and the story is kind of what's pushing you forward. But thankfully that changes pretty quick. Like you said, once you start getting that magic, and then eventually you get to get to get to the point where you do get more weapons. Uh, You can change forms. The game really opens up in a nice way. It doesn't front load it with anything like, you know, like here's everything and you need to learn it right now. But it does a good job of constantly kind of giving you new things as you play through the game. And then, you know, it kind of does the thing of like, when you do get these new forms, you're like, oh, I can go back here now. I can access areas that I couldn't before. And there's so many secrets in this game and secret areas and things like that, that it actually makes it worth worth your time to go back and re-explore a lot of these areas to find, like, things like you said, like that secret room or or we- other weird shit or power-ups that you just couldn't get to before.
0: Yeah, the, the extra forms you get, and those start pretty early, too. Basically, um, after you escape your crypt and you get revenge on your bandits, which are literally outside of your crypt, like, on on the way to the next, you know, outside of your crypt and the, the graveyard area is that bar you were at. You kill all the the people, the, the, this big group of bandits, and you're like, all right, this is great, I've got my revenge. So now yeah, what do I do? Was, I'm, I'm a vampire. Roll the credits. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm a vampire and of course the the necromancer that that uh, that gave you your power basically come, like talks in your head or whatever and is like now you must, you know, figure out um, something he basically points you towards the the story of the game which is that uh the, the world we're in, Nazgoth, uh, has these nine pillars. And the pillars somehow affect the life of the land of Nazgoth. If uh, there are nine pillars, there are nine guardians, one for each pillar, and as long as the guardians are alive and doing their job to protect the the world of Nosgoth, then everything will be wonderful. Well, at some point in the past, before you started playing this game, uh, one of the members of the pillar apparently kind of went insane and started finding ways to make all the other uh, all the other guardians of the pillars also kind of go insane. So now all these pillars that are supposed to be like these white, pristine, like marble pillars now look cracked and and miserable, and there's like a guardian there that apparently was alive and was killed by one of these guardians that now is there to help, help um, guide you on your quest. And so now from this point on, you're supposed to wander through the world and find these guardians, kill them, bring back the item that gives the guardian their power, and that causes the the pillar itself to be refreshed, and then a new guardian will be born somewhere uh, that will take over their responsibility. And the idea basically is, let's wipe the, the slate clean of all the previous guardians and you know give the world a new set of guardians, and that will be great. But why would Kane want to do that? Because Kane's already, you know, we've already said that Kane's kind of a miserable person, and as a vampire, he's even more of a miserable person. The little bit of time you've played the game to get to where you are, you already realize like he, he would care less about saving the world. Now he's just mad that he's a vampire. and Man, that- You need to, like, uh, you should put... Some of the, uh, or one of those readings that
1: he does Like when he goes to a new town Because every new town he goes into He's just like, oh, this wretched place It's just the worst, I hate going here And it's even worse now that I'm a vampire (laughs) It's just everything he says is so good And just, it's perfect for that character Thankfully they did continue that character Throughout the next few games But man, it's just every Anytime it would pop up that he was going to say something I was totally looking forward to it the town of Stention Crow bore with it the infamous aroma of its inhabitants. In life, I would not have graced the place with my presence. In death, I merely added to the stench.
0: He does the same thing about this, where it basically he's like, why would I care? Why do I want to help you? Why do I want to fix these pillars? And And she kind of implies like, well, maybe we could make you not be a vampire anymore and he's like fine then i will do this <laughs> like it's a totally selfish reason to go out on his quest such, such an asshole he so literally the, the rest of the game is you just going from town to town and finding clues as to where these other uh, these guardians would be and going into their fortresses killing them uh pretty early on you run into the main defender of the guardians is this magical suit of armor that they can summon called malik and he's there and he prevents you from finishing your mission. And you're like, uh, what am I supposed to do? So you end up going back to the, the, the pillars and she's like, oh, well, you need to find some way to, def- to destroy him or else you'll never be able to finish this mission. And well, that intro you saw at the beginning of the game that wasn't really explained now comes into play because you find out that 50 years ago or something like that, this vampire had attacked the circle and killed some of their members and killed Malik. Uh, when he was a human being that caused him become this suit of armor. So now you want to find this vampire uh, lord that, that did this before. And his name is Vorador. He's a big part of the story as well. Uh, between... Vorador kind of giving you some some guidance on on why it's great to be a vampire and you should never bother trying to switch back, uh, along with the necromancer and the, the guardian at the pillars kind of pushing you on your way, you're going to get pushed around this world trying to figure out what to do until eventually uh, it even has you go back in time uh, to do some other things. I, I don't think we want to necessarily explain the entire story. I think most of the fun in this game for me was was seeing where the story would go, because generally... While I think it did play really well, and I liked that it gave you a whole bunch of, of, of abilities, it's very repetitive. I think that's another complaint I would have, is there's a lot of stuff in this game that I felt like I was... Like, I got to a new area, I'm like, okay, fine. So here's, the, here's what I do in the new area. I go through the town, I find all the items and kill people to get my blood back. Then I find the fortress I'm supposed to go to. I find a way in the fortress, and then it's a series of rooms with switches that sometimes have traps, sometimes it's just enemies. But it's always the same kind of thing over and over again. I mean, the enemies slightly change, but... The puzzles don't necessarily get any harder, and the levels are very, very similar.
1: Yeah, for the most part, it, it just kind of sticks with doing that all all the way through. I mean, you do get your your new magic and, and forms like that that you can use here and there in the new dungeons. But I, the dungeons, the, the design of them are just—they're not great. They're fine for what they are, and they all look good. But, like, just getting through them, there's really not anything that was just, like, anything— anything approaching like a Zelda ish type of a puzzle dungeon. It's really all about finding those, just the different uh, switches here and there to get through the spikes or whatever, nothing that's just this overall big puzzle that's going to come together at the end and make a lot of sense. Um, But it's at least fun to keep going and find different ways of, of killing people with, with the items that you get or your magic or, but it's just fun to, to kind of get through even though it is kind of samey. For the most part, I did think by the by the end of the game that it was it's not a very long game, but by the end, I was just like, all right, I get it. Like, let's wrap this up, because by the by that point, I was mostly just playing through it for the story. I mean, there's only so much you can do with what what is given to
0: Kane. Well, and you mentioned that there's not a lot of things as far as a Zelda idea of, like, you get this new ability, now you can fight a boss with it differently, or it makes the getting through the dungeon different. Uh, I felt like after you get your first handful of spells, which the fourth spell you earn is Repel, which basically puts a big shield around your guy. and it's that's, that's the one that wins the game. Well, and it explains when you get it, it's there to stop missile attacks from hitting you. So there's some rooms where you put it on and it, like, shoots magic back at the people who who cast magic at you, and you're like, oh, that's really useful. But it does a lot more than that. It protects you from everything, pretty much. I mean, not walking in water and not uh, not some explosions, explosions in some sections, but generally, like, if you have that shield on, anything that's hitting you with any kind of physical weapon isn't going to hurt you at all, and even most magics. So once you get that ability, I thought every boss fight after that was put on repel shield and then figure out what weapon I'm supposed to use to hurt this guy. And in all of the boss battles, it's just running at them and and hitting them with your sword enough times till they die. Like, there wasn't a lot of... of of ingenuity to the boss battles. Like some of the levels did have, you get a a couple spells later to the control mind and spirit rack. And that lets you take the control, take control of either a human character or a non-human character. And then you can use them. Like basically your character gets sealed in a bubble and you get to take over that person's mind. They can flip switches for you. They can explore further in the dungeon. If you need them to, they can get pickups that come back to you automatically. Like if they pick up a, a life pickup or a new spell, it goes back to your character. Uh, You can use them to fight other guys, and eventually they take enough damage, and they die, and you become yourself again. So there are all these later dungeons that really involve you having to control mind, which I thought was super cool, but then that never changes either. It's like the first half of the dungeons are just switches, and the second half is mind control and switches. Like, there's not a whole lot of variance to those. Um, The items you get, a lot of them are used as mainly attacks, Uh, and they're all really cool. Like... The items are limited in use. The spells aren't. It's just based on how much magic you have. So I used a lot of spells. And you get an energy bolt spell that shoots forward. And I use that nonstop a lot of time in the game. I, I loved it. But a lot of those item attacks are so much more devastating and so much stronger. But because you're limited to how many you had, I was afraid to use them. So by the time I got to the last, like, two areas of the game, I was stacked with, with the flay items that basically shoot these spinny discs that kill everything in one or two hits. I had... Uh, th- my favorite item in the game is the Font of Putrescence, which... On the card, looks like a bunch a, of maggots, maybe. And you shoot it forward at name. them. Well, you shoot it forward at them, and they, they basically dissolve anything in the game, and be, they become this green pool that any enemy walks into, and it kills them instantly. So it's like you turn your enemies into a trap. So I would, like, chain enemies around in a circle as long as I could if there were a bunch of enemies in a room. They don't spawn in this game unless it's a boss that spawns enemies. There's a set number of enemies in each area. But I would I would try to, like, pull three or four of them, then hit the nearest one with Font of Putrescence. He would melt, and the other guys would walk into his pool and die immediately. And I was like, well, this is, this is incredible. I'm just destroying everything now. Because I saved all these items till the very, very end. Uh, so that, that I thought was really cool. And, like, the forms, I think the forms are actually really, really cool. There's a, uh, the first form you get is Werewolf, which literally turns Kane into a werewolf that runs around faster. He attacks people with his claws. He can't use items and magic, but he can outrun most enemies, and he can jump. That's the only character in the game that can jump is the werewolf, and you can use that to get around some of the areas uh, that, that are outside of the game to find extra dungeons or, or hidden things. Some things you have to get to. But generally, a lot of the secrets early on you find with that werewolf form. You can turn to a bat that is essentially just a teleport. You can't turn to a bat and fly around where you want to, but it lets you see an overworld map, and you can pick from the places you've already been. You can find like these green... I don't even know what they are supposed to be. Like green statue things you can click, and basically once you've once you found one, you can fly back there anytime you want. But also any of the castles you found, any of the towns and stuff, all that you can fly back to. Uh, on the map. It's pretty easy to fly around. You get Mist Form that slowly drains your magic, but it lets you basically become completely invincible to everything, but you also can't affect it. But any of those puzzles that were like, oh man, there's a whole bunch of spikes and all this other stuff, I was like, yep, Mist Form. And I just walked through all those. Uh, and then Visage, which I thought was maybe that was supposed to do more, and they just ran out of time. Uh, but basically, you can turn Kane from looking like an undead vampire back into looking like a normal person. And the first time when you get it, the guy's like, "Oh man, there's people that will tell you stuff and, and be really useful to you if you're you know if you're a person. No one ever talks to you again once you're a person. Not one person talks to you when you're a person. It's just that you aren't attacked by guards." Yeah,
1: this uh, one thing I do remember reading about this game back in the day was that it had to be cut short. Uh, I think what they said was where it ended was maybe like three fourths of the way where they wanted to be. They they said they actually had like, a, like at least two more dungeons or at least one more. I think they wanted to do two more full dungeons and then wrap it up from there. But because of just how long it had taken them for, to develop the game and everything like that, they really had to cut it short. And that's why the end just kind of comes out of nowhere (laughs) and you're, you get the visage thing and it's just like, all right, what good is this? No one cares. So yeah, they, they did totally uh, just cut, cut that all short. One thing real quick uh, before we get away from it, like this game, You know, we were talking about the action and stuff like that. I think this game does a really great job of making you feel like the badass undead vampire that you are. And it seems like Silicon Knights went out of their way to give you a lot of different ways to (laughs) kill everything in the most disgusting ways possible. But I don't think they did enough to actually make anyone else (laughs) feel like... or, Or give anyone else any sort of real attack or threat to you. It really just feels like you are this this wave of, of horribleness that is coming over everything and nothing can really stop you. Even if you're like slaughtering an entire town, it doesn't really matter. Uh, so it's just, it's one of those games that just like expect you to be the center of the focus of this entire game. Don't really expect much else to, to really give you a challenge. It's not a very hard game, but yeah, just even like the bosses and stuff like that, they all just kind of cower in front of Kane for the most part.
0: Well, it's, it that repel spell that we mentioned, where it gives you like the bubble around your character, it, it makes you invincible. So literally, all the, like the last three bosses in the game are put your shell around yourself and just swing at them until they die. Like, there's no strategy to it. There's no timing and running around like trying to avoid attacks. It's just like, yeah, I made myself invincible, so I'm gonna swing my sword over and over again until you die, and then I'll <laughs> and then I'll move on to the next boss. Like, there's definitely a lot of, of I don't know. to it's a balance issue, but but it's definitely that the, the difficulty in the game is not is not the fights necessarily. It's And when you do run into problems, it's numbers. It's like, oh, well, this room is filled with, like, ten guys. And if you do get stuck in a corner, they do a lot of damage to you real fast. And it's not like you have a recovery where you get hit once and you're invincible for a second. Like, they just keep doing damage to you over and over and over again. Uh, same with things like if you walk on water as of anything but mist, uh, it does a ton of damage to you very quickly. Uh, we mentioned that there aren't a lot of... Of healing items you get the the heart of darkness that will heal you in a little chunk and you get to to drain people's blood but if you do run out of hearts of darkness and you die that's the end of the game that's it now it it doesn't happen too often once you get moving because especially if you look for those secrets uh jeremy said there were a lot of secrets and there are there's over 100 secret or there are exactly 100 secret secrets in this game and they're all over the place some of them are very you know they're just like oh yeah by the side of the town, there's a path you might not have seen. Oh, you go down there, there's a cave, you get some items. Others are involved turning in the mist and flying across huge chunks of water that you might not think you need to do. Like, there's a lot of hidden stuff in this game if you want to look for it. Um, one of the things they really pushed about this game was that it was 50 hours long. That can't be true. I, I played this and beat this in. I want to say under 12, I mean, and that's pushing it, and that's because I really did try to find some of these secrets. Uh, the end of the game does feel like you're on a tunnel, where it's like, yep, now here's this, here's this, there's this. You go back in time, you see this guy, you do this stuff. It's like, bam, and you get to the very end of the game. Uh, without ruining it, I like that the end of the game has two options. There's like a positive option, where you, you choose to do the thing you were supposed to do from the get-go of the game, and that seems to make the world a better place. And then there's a negative option, which, which ends with you basically being like some sort of vampire undead lord. And uh, and obviously that's the canon ending to this game, because yeah, yeah. The, the next game in the series, uh, which came out a couple years later, uh, Soul Reaver, involves uh, one of the people who are in Kane's like circle kind of turning against him. So uh, Kane is like a vampire lord; he has like these vampires that are with him, terrorizing the world. Whatever's going on, and, and so that's clearly you know you're supposed to pick the bad ending, and and especially based on the way he talks and the way he acts to other people, you, you're kind of supposed to pick that bad ending. I didn't the first time, because you're like, well, I'll pick the good one to see. But thankfully, the game does allow you to save kind of right before that point, so you f- do the last fight again, and then you can pick the other ending, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, like like I, like we just mentioned, there were sequels to this game. Um, the the first one came out uh, three years later, which was Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver. Uh, that was on the PlayStation, and it, is, it changed the game style from this overhead kind of action RPG into a more traditional 3D action game. And that was, that's the one that, that I
1: think most people know of. Uh, I do think, you know, people know this game, that it was a, a decently popular game back in the day, but it didn't blow any any sales numbers off out of the roof or anything like that. But Soul Reaver was, was the game that I think most people played. Uh, and that is a, a far better game. You know, that is, that sticks much closer to the Zelda 64 kind of game. Uh, the gameplay, the dungeons, the overworld, everything about it is just really great. And even the whole like gimmick of being able to turn the world from the living world into the spirit world is used. It's just some really creative ways and puzzles and puzzle solutions that that is the game that I would suggest everyone go back and play. Um, and even the games after that, I think Soul Reaver 2 was it was all right. I didn't really get into it like I did the first one. And then, what was that next one? Is that, that was the Legacy of Kane 2, I think, or something.
0: Yeah, so they, After that. Soul Reaver, I've never played. And actually, I do want to play Soul Reaver. So, if there's a time where we need a bonus show game, maybe we'll pick that. Uh, after that uh, was Soul Reaver 2 that came out for the PlayStation 2 uh, in 2001. Then. <laughs> so, Silicon Knights, who was the developer for this game really didn't get involved with the series after the original. I think they get some kind of writing credits or something on, on Soul Reaver, but even at that point, it was mostly Crystal Dynamics. They, they had bought the rights to the game, and they said, well, we're going to make our own games based on this world. And, uh, and after some, some legal issues, essentially they were allowed to continue that, but Silicon Knights washed their hands of it and were no longer attached to the project. So Soul Reaver 2 was in PlayStation 2, like I just said. Then Blood Omen 2, which was also on PlayStation 2, but also on the Xbox, GameCube, and PC, was a continuation of Kane's story. So there was Kane is in this game, then you play as, I think it's Raziel in Soul Reaver and Soul Reaver 2, then Blood Omen 2 is Kane again, and then there's Legacy of Kane Defiance, which apparently kind of tries to tie both stories together uh, to get back to one, one game line. I guess it's all in the same world, but they were, I guess they said, you know, we don't need a series of games with two different heroes. Let's Let's merge it, uh, and apparently that did not do well. Legacy of Kain: Defiance came out in two thousand three, and and that's the last main Legacy of Kane game. Uh, there was a couple sequels that were kind of rumored and canceled, and then in two thousand fifteen, there was an online multiplayer game just called Nosgoth that was in open That's beta. what everybody wanted. Well, and it was a it was a online deathmatch game too. So it was like. Any of these other online combat games, and it came out uh, again in open beta only, and then was canceled less than a year later before it actually went to full full market or whatever. Uh, I don't know why games do this. Like even we covered Shadowrun a couple years ago at this point, for the Genesis and Super Nintendo, and there was a Shadow Run, like, Rebirth that they tried with the 360, I think, and it was another online combat game. It wasn't Shadow Run, it was online combat in the world of Shadow Run. Like, who wants that? Why would you, why would you think anyone that liked these games would want to play an online multiplayer Vampires versus Vampire Hunter combat game? I, I just, I don't understand the logic. And apparently no one did, because it did not get far enough to make it out, and, uh, and that's the last thing anyone's heard of, the Legacy of Kane series, which at this point is owned by Square Enix. So so I guess if someone's going to redo something with it, they're as good as anybody. But uh, but I'd be surprised if we see more directly in the Legacy of Cain world. I would love it. I would love to see some sort
1: of remake. You know, even just redo Soul Reaver because it's so damn good. I think that would still hold up today if they just gave it, you know, the, the controls made it a little bit smoother to play. But just everything about that game would would translate so well to today. Uh, Blood Omen, I, I, or Legacy of Cain... It's, it's, I, I will always remember it for just how amazing it was back in the day, but I think it would be pretty hard for a lot of people if they've never played it to just sit down and play that game today. I, it's a really overly ambitious game. You were talking about how it says like it's 50 hours long. I think Silicon Knights went out of their way to hype these numbers. And, uh, but I saw a lot of those things parroted around by magazines. Like it's, you know, 50 to a hundred hours long. It's It's like 600 square miles of of you know video game world for you to explore. It's unheard of and all this stuff, and it just it never happened. Even Soul Reaver was had the same fate. It was actually not finished, and they had to cut it down right at the very end. Um, So it's just it's one of those games that game series that I think is just maybe a little bit too overly ambitious. If they would have reined it in, and and just kind of focused on making the especially the first one, the dungeons better, the world a little bit more fleshed out, and, and instead of just really aiming for the skies, which, I don't know, I think it, it kind of did the game a detriment, especially, like, once you start reading all that hype, and then you play the game, it's like, wait, I beat it in nine
0: hours. Well, that's, that's kind of a Silicon Knights thing. I mean, they, they like I said, they weren't, weren't really involved with this series after this game, but they went on to do one of my favorite games of all time, Eternal Darkness, uh, on the GameCube, and that didn't come out till 2002. So that's, that's literally, you know, six years later, their next major game came out, which was Eternal Darkness. They were uh, the programmers for, or the developers for Metal Gear Solid, the Twin Snakes, like the remake of, yeah. of, of a Metal Gear Solid for the GameCube. They did Two Human, which I never played. Oh, God, they did do Two Human. I forgot about that. And, and then the last game they did was X-Men Destiny, which I don't even remember, which shows how good that was. Uh, and then they no longer exist. I think they still technically are a company, but they haven't put anything out out in a long time. They're not tied to anything. I saw them trying to do a, a Kickstarter for a sequel to Eternal Darkness at one point that never happened. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, they're one of those companies I'm sure like is a, is the original you know founder and like two friends now that still keep the company alive. But but yeah, they they do a lot of games where they they say they're going to deliver on all these massive promises and then just kind of kind of don't don't deliver on them. And this was was very similar. You can tell they either ran out of time. Or, you know, quite simply, they had this this design document, and Crystal Dynamics is like, yeah, these other ideas are great, but that's not what we're going to do because that we don't have time. This is it.
1: And I think if if you are going to play it for the first time, it's worth it for the story and the acting and the characters. I mean, this is where the the whole lore of this this game series starts, and it does carry out carry on through to each game. Uh, sometimes, like literally, like you in the game in this one. And even though Soul Reaver takes place hundreds of years after that ending, like it's all picking up basically where that story left off from that ending that you chose, um, the bad ending. And so like it's if you go into Soul Reaver, it's it's really cool to have all of that background lore and stuff of what happened with Kane, and then you see what happens in Soul Reaver, and you're just like oh man, like everything's gotten way worse now. And that continues. Uh, it gets kind of ridiculous uh, after that as far as like the storylines go, but. It's, uh, I, I think, especially in the, in the first game and in Soul Reaver, the, the story is, is very much worth playing through it for.
0: Yeah, I'd never played any of the later games, and I still really enjoyed the world this game creates. Uh, and and a lot of it is done through Kane talking to you and, and his his kind of diatribes as he goes around the, the continent. So, I mean, I this was fun. I think by the end, you're right, it gets a little long. You're kind of done. You're ready to be finished with it. And, and the ending is... It's fine. I, I think the last bit of it, you really do feel like it's just telling you, go here, go here, go here, and that's the end of it. But otherwise, uh, you know, this was really fun. Uh, the loading screen's my main complaint. Other than that, uh, you know, just kind of an, an unfinished an unfinished work that maybe could have been a lot better with a little more time, but maybe it never would have come out either. So if you can find a copy, give it a shot. But I do recommend, if you have a way to play it that may not be the PlayStation, to try that to save yourself uh, some of the madness of these load times. Is it...
1: uh did it ever get released on PC or on, at least on good old games? I think there was it like an issue with it that. It did a get few
0: released on PC. our thoughts on blood omen legacy of kane for the playstation Uh, definitely worth checking out an interesting game uh, with an interesting story uh, but as a standalone gaming experience maybe not the the highlight of the action rpg genre Um, you know every episode even when billy's not here we take some questions from our listeners and the best way to get us a question i mean you could call us you write a letter uh we have all our social media but the best way is if you go to retrovania.net not only will you find links to all of our other social media pages, our YouTube channel, uh, this podcast itself. There's also a question form at the very bottom where you can take any question you have on your mind, send it to us, and we will probably answer it on the show, like we're going to do right now.
1: And the hits just keep coming, uh, folks. I, if if you if you don't hear your question read uh, on this episode, then just think that it's going to be read down the road, especially if you wrote in with uh, something that pertained to Billy. Since he is not here and cannot answer those questions. And we will not do so for him. We cannot speak for Billy.
0: No No. one
1: can speak for Billy. No. It's impossible. Uh, But we're going to start off here with your uncle who works at Nintendo. That guy. We all know him. And he's writing in about faith in fail tech and extra fingering. Dear nephews, it's me, your uncle who works at Nintendo. I was wondering, have any of you gone all in on a technology that ultimately went bust? Perhaps you wasted your savings on a 3DO. Or maybe you thought that HD DVD was the future for home entertainment. Hell, I bought 100 shares in Phantom Entertainment when I thought the Phantom game console was going to be a thing. So tell me, what failed tech did you simp for? Also, I just noticed that the character of caricature of my little slugger, Jeremy P, on your internet webpage has six fucking fingers. I can't <laughs> stop looking at this. Patiently awaiting your answers, extra fingers and all, your uncle who works at Nintendo. P.S., if my question was too hard for you, just share your pro strats on spicy buttholes. The kids love that.
0: Okay, well, I'm going to skip the spicy buttholes. I think I got this question down. Uh, the extra finger, by the way, maybe it may just be a mozzarella stick. I do like mozzarella sticks. It could just be a very poorly drawn mozzarella stick. Um, they do, like, kind of stick all over your body sometimes. They like, do. You can just get up and, and there'll be, like, one sticking to you. I mean... I- hey, I've lived a rough life. There have been times I've woken up and there's a cheeseburger on me. I don't know where it came from, and that's okay. Uh, as far as failed tech, I thankfully have not gotten into non-computer-related failed tech too much. Like, I never had a LaserDisc player or a Betamax uh, videotape player or any of that. Um, I did... Uh, any failed system you mentioned, I, I probably owned for a long time. So, you know, I had, I had an Intellivision, and I had the TurboGrafx-16, and I had an Atari 7800, and I had... Uh, the Amiga computer, which, while not a failure in Europe, was kind of one here. Uh, so, uh, you know, thankfully, all mine have been gaming related. But at the same time, I still enjoyed all those things. Like there was nothing that I bought, uh, you know, I didn't buy a CDI, I didn't go completely insane. But, uh, but the things I bought, bu- <clears throat> the things I bought that ultimately failed, at least gave me a lot of entertainment out of them before they ultimately did do so.
1: I went all in on the 3DO, actually, but thankfully, I did not purchase it for myself because I was like. Thirteen or something, around that age, Uh, I managed to get that for Christmas one year somehow because I just mentioned it as a joke because I didn't think anyone in my family was crazy enough to spend eight hundred dollars on me. But apparently, my uh, grandma from my mom's side of the family, who I didn't, I don't really ever get to see very often, she went all in that year. I don't know if she just randomly got a big ass check or something, but everyone in the family got a really highly you know it was, it cost a lot kind of Christmas present and I ended up with the 3DO and I was even then I was like this is the future of video games nothing even comes close uh you know all we had up until that point was like that could compare was the Sega CD which it was not even close to, to the power of what the 3DO could do and the PlayStation was a couple of years away at that point so having that system I was, I was like, nothing could beat this. It's incredibly powerful. It's, it has really cool games. And so, yeah, I, I bought a ton of games for that system, which there were, believe it or not, a ton of games for the 3DO.
0: There were a lot, yes.
1: Yeah, and, and some very good games as well. I think the 3DO gets a bad rap for being a shitty system. And, you know, it didn't succeed, but it was not a shitty system. It had a lot of great games on it. Um, and it but it's way too expensive.
0: Yeah, it but was, yeah, that was that incredibly was expensive, and, and what I remember about it, because we had them at the, the store still, we still had them at the, at the EB, and they really pushed it, even after the Saturn came out, kind of when PlayStation came out, it was when they finally were like, fine, we'll move this system to the back of the store, but up until PlayStation hit, they really pushed it, it was like, even even compared to Saturn, like, yeah, look, the Saturn, maybe it looks like it's a stronger system, but there are eight games, look at all the games for the 3DO, you can really, put, and, and there were a lot of good games for it, uh, but but at the same time, there were also a ton of, like, PC ports and, and things that maybe weren't as impressive.
1: And the, the thing that it was going up against, uh, you know, when it came out was the Jaguar. Like, the Jaguar and the 3DO were the two systems that were out at the same time. And, I mean, come on. No, I don't think there's anyone out there that can say the Jaguar was a good system. Unless you just have a lot of nostalgia for it. Uh, but, yeah, I, I went all in on the 3DO. I don't regret it. It's still one of my favorite systems I ever owned. Just because it wasn't successful... Uh, does not mean that I, I feel bad about it. I mean, just just ask Jeremy about the turbo graphics.
0: No, it's wonderful, and I, and I will fight someone who says otherwise.
1: <laughs> and if I have any uh, pro strats for spicy butthole, I would say, avoid it. Avoid spicy buttholes. That is as incredibly uncomfortable as our next question coming in from Corvus will let us know. And his his uh, <laughs> question is farts. Actually, this isn't much of a question. I think he's just telling us about uh, an incident that he had. So, on the previous episode, you told a fart story, so I've got one, too. One day after work, I was so tired that I decided to take the elevator, and I was a bit gassy at the time as well. So, I let one out, and it was a nasty one. I got off at my floor, and this old lady went in, and as the door closed behind her, and I I heard her go, ugh. I still still laugh at this, even though it was years ago. I think we've all got stories like
0: that. I mean, each... (laughs) You got to do what you got to do. I, know, I love when you get someone's reaction to it, though, especially when you're walking out of the elevator and, <laughs> and don't have to stare at them. That's pretty great.
1: I, there was one time at, like, a Kroger, like, years ago, and I was getting sick with some kind of, like, flu. It was, old, I, I think Billy refers to it as the uh, ass-pissing disease, where you just start, like, pissing out of your ass over and over, um, the sicker you get. And I was getting that, and if you've ever had that, you know that it comes with the worst farts that you could ever imagine. It just smells like sour dead animals or something. And I was in a Kroger getting some, uh, uh, you know, cold medicine since that's what I thought I had was just a cold. And I, you know, when it hits you and you're sick like that, you just got to do it or you're going to shit your pants. So I did. And I think I was uh, around the pop tarts when I did so. And I just kind of booked it out of there and as I was leaving, I, I looked over and I saw these two smaller girls coming over to get get some pop tarts, and they they hit that wall of stank, and uh, their faces, <laughs> uh, I will never forget those. I, it, it was just they experienced something new at the pop tarts. Uh, they may have never wanted to eat pop tarts again, but <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I got. I, I I don't know if you've you've had any any good. Uh, stories where you torture people, there, Jeremy.
0: Uh, I mean, mostly my own kids. I like to do it uh, around them, and then uh, oh, you're that kind of dad. Oh, and I like to do it around them, and then walk away. And then when people come by, I just point at them like, God, that kid stinks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just, that kid <laughs> gets bullied for the rest of his life. Now, uh, I just, I just gave him a reason. That's all. Yeah. yeah. All right, thank you, Corvus, for sharing that lovely story with us. And our next question comes in from Burger Champ, and he's talking about generational upgrades. What NES game or series do you think benefited most from a, in a subsequent entry or entries on the Super NES? What game or series do you think squandered that move? What about PlayStation 1 to PlayStation 2?
0: So for the NES to Super NES, I think, I mean, a lot of games did a good job, like, you know, The difference between Zelda 1 and and Link to the Past or whatever. I mean, Link to the Past is an amazing game. But I think the game that that went from, like, yeah, this is a good game to this is one of the best games ever made was Metroid to Super Metroid. I think uh, even though it does basically exactly what Metroid did, it does it so much better and refines all those ideas to where it's it's just an easier game to, to pick up and play. Like, if you've never played any of those games and I gave you Super Metroid today, you'd say that was a lot of fun. If you are never playing any of those games I give you Metroid, you'd say, what is this? I don't understand what I'm supposed to do. Nothing's telling me what to do. I'm very confused. So I think Super Metroid's the best transfer that I can think of. I'm sure there's a better one, but that's the best one. The, the ones that squandered it would be... It's hard because it's not the same. There's a lot of stuff that really failed going from 16-bit to PlayStation Saturn era, right? The the 2D to 3D shift. There's a lot of bad games. But as far as from 8-bit to 16-bit, I think a lot of the time they just took those games and refined what they did in a way, graphically at least. Um, but I think the game that wasted that the most is Mega Man 7. Because if you ask anyone about Mega Man 7, they just remember that it's just like Mega Man. Like, it didn't do anything new. It didn't take advantage of the hardware. It just looks a lot prettier than than Mega Man 6. That's it.
1: I think going from, like, uh, I mean, it was such a huge jump going from NES to Super NES that it was, it was hard not to, you know, feel like, wow, this is amazing. Like, any game that came from that ser- from an old NES series to the Super NES was, uh, it was just crazy. I know the one that kind of hit me the, the most was uh, Castlevania Four. And after playing through three Castlevania games on the NES uh, for, you know, what they are and how much I love them, they're all kind of stiff feeling you know there's a certain way the characters move and jump around the screen and then you get to Castlevania 4 and it's just like um like you can basically do everything you can whip in any direction jump around the screen there's just so much more you can do it's a much faster paced kind of game like that blew me away I couldn't believe that this was like something that was possible going from one system to the next and then another Konami game that really squandered it was going from the amazing Super Contra on the Super NES to then going to the PlayStation. And that should have been the biggest no-brainer ever as far as, like, let's make Contra, but let's put it on a system that is, a, like, thousands of times more powerful and just do that. Let's make that again. But what we got was Shattered Soldier,
0: I think, was it? That's a, No, that's a later one. The, yeah, the first that was a one was later just See uh, the Contra adventure or whatever.
1: Yeah, the Contra, oh my god, it's so bad. I, I never felt worse about buying a game. No, than I'm sorry,
0: I'm sorry. That's the second one too. The Contra Legacy of War was the first PlayStation Yes, World. Legacy of War. And it is, ever. you're right, it is one of the worst, because it, it's also, it, it's a bad game. It's a totally bad yes, game that tries to all- go into 3D, but it's it was still pushed, it was still a major title. I mean, there's a lot of games that the, the 3D version of it wasn't good, but because it was like, an afterthought or a license bought by another company or whatever. But this was still Konami putting out another Contra, and it was misery. Yeah, and that was the first one. And that was like, you expected that jump from
1: like what I expected going from Castlevania 3 to Castlevania 4. I was like, oh man, they can't fuck this up. They really fucked it up, and it is just a terrible game. Shattered Soldier was actually, I think, the PS2 game, which was actually very good. That was the game that should have been on the PlayStation.
0: Yeah, yeah, that one was. So, that was PS2. That was that was a good game.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was really good. But yeah, anything, anything Contra on the PlayStation is just it's cursed and it's just a nightmare. So I think that was probably the biggest squander for me. There's there's probably several more that I can I could think of if I had time to sit around and think about it. But those two are the, are the ones that really stick out in my head. Anyway, thank you, Burger Champ, for writing in. And last question of the day is going to come in from Late to Gaming. And he's wanting to know what we think about our best unknown games. Hey guys, what's the best retro game that you've played that almost no one else has heard of? Bonus points if it hasn't been covered on the show. Why do you think the rest of us missed out on it? As always, thanks for putting together a great show and keeping us entertained.
0: Uh, it's going to be tough for me to list a game that's That's unknown that I didn't already try to play on the show, because I think that's kind of what we started with when we did this, is not just, hey, we want to play obscure games no one knows, but, you know, our takes on games that maybe you have heard of. But, I mean, you know, early on I wanted to play Skull Monkeys. That's one I would have listed. Uh, That's a game a lot of people didn't play, because it's a a goofy-looking 2D platformer in an era where everyone wanted 3D games, and I thought it was really, really good. Um, Yeah, it's tough. It's really tough to come up with a game that is... Like a, a, a hidden gem or an unknown hit that, that we didn't already cover. Um, I'm sure I'll think of one while you're talking. I guess for me, the one we did cover
1: that no one knows about is Spike McFang. That is something that you could literally say to anyone out there and they'd be like, what are you talking about? But I, we covered that one. Uh, the other two that I would say that, that we didn't cover, someday I, I hope to do a video of it on the YouTube channel, hopefully soon. I, I say that every year I've been doing this channel. Uh, but the Pocky and Rocky series, Pocky and Rocky one and Pocky and Rocky two. No one knows that these games exist except me and probably my cousin. They're basically these top down action, kind of like almost Akari warriors shooter-ish kind of game, but they are so crazy and filled with weird Japanese shit that I'm honestly surprised they got released over here, especially the first one where in the first stage alone, you are attacked by dozens of one-eyed, uh, small f- demon things. They look like babies wearing diapers, but they've just got like one eye and they're all trying to beat you with sticks. And th- it, the game is just filled with weird stuff like that. I think it's all about, uh, you know, Japanese d- demons and, and that whole kind of thing. But like as a kid, I didn't know nothing about that. And it was the weirdest goddamn game I ever played uh, up to that point. And then Paki and Rocky 2 is just a better version of Paki and Rocky 1. I uh, love those games. They were like two-player co-op as well. So me and my cousin could just sit there and witness in confusion as far as like what we're seeing, being like, man, those people over in Japan are really fucked up. But I, I think those those two for me are the ones that I can always throw out and people just kind of look at me with a confused dog look or something.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of games I can think of that, that I would have listed that would be... Uh, games you haven't heard of, but, you know, best game you haven't heard of. I, it would have to be one we've covered, in my opinion, for, for ones I would have listed. I mean, you know, going back to the, 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 like, the rhythm games, when rhythm games first started being being big, I think I played everyone I could find. So yeah, I play, like, Britney's Dance Beat that actually played pretty well. And uh, the, what was the Mad Maestro, where you're, like, conducting an orchestra. Those were all really cool little neat niche games, but uh, mm, I, I don't know <laughs> if they're worth covering necessarily uh, for, for the podcast.
1: So anyway, thank you, Late2Gaming, for writing in. That's going to do it for all of our questions this week. Again, if you did not hear your question read, it'll likely be on the next show, depending on how many emails we get and which ones we want to do. Uh, we've got a few here that I think are Billy-specific, uh, and we will read them when, when he gets back on the show. So thanks, everyone, that wrote in. We hope we did you proud by answering your weird questions. Uh, and if you want to send us even more, go to retrovania.net. Scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Check out that contact form. You can write words into it and then press the send button, and then we'll get it through the magic of the Internet.
0: That's right, and while you're there use it to check out our YouTube channel which does have new videos on it every now and then also has a link to our Patreon if you'd like more of these episodes, there's two free episodes a month exclusive to Patreon members uh, along with you, you can put games on the list like where we pulled this, this uh, episode's game from and all the ones we've covered this February, uh, but we'll be back in two weeks with one that's probably not on the list and hopefully Billy will be with us and we will see you then